It's good to see everybody here today. You can't say that you hadn't had previous warning because it was announced last week who would be a speaking. And I don't claim to be a preacher, but I do think that we all as individuals ought to be able to say something that would be beneficial from the Word of God. Uh, Brother Roger, last week he made an announcement that he, he asked the congregation that they should pray for the ones that was going to be speaking. And when Margie went out the door there, she said, Roger, I think that we ought to be a praying for those that are listening. <laughs> and so she might have a point there, you know. But anyway, I wanted us to look for a few minutes about uh, why, not why should I be a Christian, but why I should be a Christian. And there's many reasons. I want to give you about 11, I guess, before it's over. But now we're not going to be here all day. I want to talk fast. I've got a lot of scriptures to, to bring to you. But the word Christian means that we belong to Christ. And as was quoted there in Acts eleven twenty six, he said that the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And then in Acts twenty six twenty eight, he said, uh, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian, told Paul that. Uh, and then in 1 Peter 4, <clears throat> verse, starting with verse 15, he says, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other men's matters. But if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but rather glorify God in this behalf. For he says, if judgment is going to first begin at the house of God, you know, what shall be the end of them in the next verse of them that know not the gospel of God? And that's a rhetorical question, and uh, uh, it's, it would uh, answer itself uh, so the question is, why I should be a Christian? In 1 Peter 3.15, Peter says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And certainly that would be a, a, a good thing for us to be able to do. In James 1 and verse 17, James says, Every good and perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God is the same yesterday, today, and, and forevermore. In Ephesians 1 and verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ in heavenly places. So if all spiritual blessings are in Christ in heavenly places, the question is, how do we obtain these, uh, these spiritual blessings? First of all, I might suggest to you that we, need, we have to be born again. In John 3, beginning with verse 1, probably through 7, it says there's a man of the Pharisees uh, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night, and he said, Master, we know that thou art a teacher sent from God, for no man doeth these miracles except God be with him. And he said, uh, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, Well, how can a man be born again uh, when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not, I say unto you, that ye must be born again. There's the new birth that he talks about. You notice there's two elements. One of them is the spirit, and one of them is the water. 
In 1 Peter 1, 22, he says, Seeing that you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. And then uh, in uh, the water is found in a, very, a lot of places, but, you know, the world doesn't like to talk about water baptism. But there's nothing taught any plainer in the Scriptures than water baptism. In Romans 6, beginning with verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How can we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried by baptism in death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we should also walk in newness of life. For if you have been planted together with Him in the likeness of His death, we shall be with Him also in the likeness of His resurrection. Two elements, the water and the Spirit. And then in Galatians 3, uh, verse 26 and verse 27, He says, For you are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So we might ask the question then, is it profitable for us to be a Christian? Well, certainly it is, we know, but we might ask, first of all, what are the spiritual blessings? You know, we have to count the cost. Anything that's good or anything that's worthwhile is going to cost us something. Time, energy, uh, talent, uh, money, whatever. In Luke fourteen twenty eight, he says, if any man intend to build a tower... He first sets down, doesn't he first sit down and count the cost to see whether he'll be able to finish these things. We used to sing a song in the old sacred selection book, I believe 480 was a question, have you counted the cost? Do you remember, if your soul should be lost, if you gain the whole world for your own, even now it may be that the line you have crossed, have you counted, have you counted, have you counted the cost? Certainly there is, but we have to give up certain things. There's a cost to anything that's good. 1 John 2, beginning with verse 15 through 17, he says, Love not the world, neither the things are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He says, The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. These things are of the world and not of the Father. But he says, The world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God will abide forever. So we have to give up things, you know, that maybe we think are important, but they're really not. Our soul is the most important possession that we have. Then we have to assume certain responsibilities and obligations. In Matthew 16, verse 24, he says, If any man will follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We have to keep his commandments. That's another thing. His commandments in 1 John 5 and verse 3, he says this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. So we might ask the question, why should we be a Christian? Number one, because the Lord wants us to be a Christian. He wants us to be saved. He, he, he's not just standing out there trying to trick somebody you know, and taking a delight in us, us of being evil and being lost. In Second Peter 3, verse 9, 10, and 11 there, he, he says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us would not willing that any should perish, but that all should come unto repentance. He says, For the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, 
in which the heavens shall pass away with a loud noise and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth and the works therein shall be burned up, seeing that these things shall be encompassed or come, come to pass. What manner of person ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness or, or manner of life? So uh, we ought to be a Christian because it's a way of showing our gratitude then for what God has done for us. Then another reason is that it, it's because it's an answer of a good conscience towards God. You know, our conscience has to be right. It has to be tra- uh, excuse me, trained. In 1 Peter 3.21, he was talking about baptism. There, uh, uh, Noah, uh, you know, and his three sons and their wives and Noah and his wife were the only eight souls saved. And he said, wherein eight souls were saved. But he says, the like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. It's not just we're taking a bath, you know, but it's the answer of a good conscience toward God. Then to be a Christian, the answer of a good conscience, then we need to receive, we can receive so that we can receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit, you know, a lot of people think it comes as a direct operation upon you and a bolt of lightning and suddenly something happens, you know, out of the ordinary, but this is not true. The Holy Spirit works in the revealed Word. Uh, we need to receive that Holy Spirit. In Acts 2.38, you remember when Peter preached the first sermon on the day of Pentecost there, and he told them that they had killed the Son of God. They had slain Him with wicked hands. And then it says that they were pricked in their heart. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit guides us through his word. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, he says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. So we need to receive that Holy Spirit, and 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 uh, the Spirit of God dwells in us. In Romans eight and uh, verse nine, it says that the Spirit dwells in the child of God. It should, if we're any of His, it will. And then the Spirit assists us in our uh, our prayers too, and we've been studying, you know, in Romans on Wednesday night, Romans eight twenty seven, that it says it maketh intercession for the saints. The Spirit maketh intercession for intercession for the saints. Pardon me, but uh, we might also mention that this Spirit though can be quenched, it can be put out, it can be held down, you know. In 1 Thessalonians 5.19, he says, Quench not the Holy Spirit. Then why be a Christian? To be added to the church. In Acts 2.47, you know, a lot of people say that you just join the church of your choice. But that's far from the truth. Because we don't have but one choice. In Matthew 16.18, you know, Christ said, Upon this rock I will build my church, singular, and the gates of hell, you know, he told Peter, and Peter said that thou art the Christ. And he, and he told him, you know, that uh, blessed art thou, you know, and flesh and blood not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And uh, so uh, anyway, 
praising God and having favor with all the people. It says, and the Lord added to the church daily such as were being saved. So we're added to the church provided we uh, meet the criteria that is set down in the Holy Scriptures. And we'll get to some of that later. Why be a Christian? Because the church is the body of the saved. And it, it stands to reason if the saved are in the church and we're not in the church and we're not a Christian, then we're lost. It's just that simple. You know, it's an either or. Uh, we can't have a divided allegiance. We talked about that in our class this morning. He says in Ephesians 5.23, he said the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church and the Savior of the body. The church, you know, is a divine institution. There's three institutions that are most important, and that, of course, is marriage and the home and the church. That's the three most important institutions there is. In Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, Paul here says, And he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Verse 23 says, Which is the body of him that filleth, uh, fullness of him that filleth all in all. So then we might ask, say another, another reason is that the church, it's the institution that Christ loved. Christ loved the church. In Ephesians 5, 25, he says, Husbands, love your wife even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So he loved the church. Christ loved it. He, greater love, the scripture says, hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And Christ died for even the wickedest people on this earth, you know. So there ain't no greater love than that. Then we ought to be a Christian because it offers the highest and the finest fellowship that we can have with any people here upon the earth. They ought to be in the church. That's the, the cream of the crop, you might say. Uh, we, uh, we, we worship and we fellowship with those of uh, like precious faith, and we ought to look forward to being here. You know, David said, I was glad when they said, let us go up to the house of the Lord. He was glad for the opportunity. It wasn't, uh, you know, I, I'm going to have to go to church. But it's not that. We ought to be thankful for the opportunity to be here. And then uh, we're, we're, we will be known with others then of uh, like precious faith. In 1 John 1 and 7, he says, But if we walk in the light as he in the light, he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. And then another reason, because the church is a worldwide institution. It's a worldwide institution. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, you know, he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Going to all the world. All the world's not going to receive it, but our responsibility is to put it out there to where it will be available uh, to those people. Then another reason to be a Christian is to enjoy the companionship of Christ. You know, uh, though all others forsake, He'll never fail us. 
He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. In 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17, Paul was speaking here, and he said, At my first defense, no man stood with me. No man stood with me. All men forsook me. Then he said, I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Verse 17 of that same scripture says, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by my preaching or by me the preaching might be made fully known unto the Gentiles and might hear, and I was, Paul said, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. So when all others forsake us, men forsake us, God will never forsake us. Christ will never forsake us. Uh, he, he, he tells us to draw nigh unto Him, you know, in the book of James. Then in Hebrews uh, 4 and verse 15, Christ understands us because He says, We have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. But He says, For He was at all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You know, we fall into temptation and our lust causes to sin but uh, but Christ was tempted at all points just like we are but he didn't sin he was perfect he had to be the, the Lamb of God John said that taketh away the sins of the world so we need to be a Christian to enjoy the privilege of prayer you know we overlook that a lot of times in James 5 and 16 James says confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Over uh, in uh, also uh, in uh, Philippians four, I really love this verses of scripture here in Philippians four, six and seven. He says, "Be anxious in nothing, but in but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving." Let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God that passeth all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we need to be a Christian to enjoy the privilege of prayer, but to enjoy the promises that are made in the Scriptures too. We have some precious promises in the Scripture. In John 14, beginning with verse 1 through about 6, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. And he said, the, the, uh, and whether I go, you know, and the way, you know. And Thomas said, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And our Savior said in 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father uh, but by me. So we need to uh, enjoy the precious promises of the Scriptures. And then we know in this life, this physical life, is just for a short time, even if we lived to be a 100 years old, it's still a short time. And death is going to come to all men, especially Hebrews 9.27 says it is appointed unto man. It's an appointment we're going to keep. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. And it tells us in other places that all are going to stand before the judgment seat of God. 
and give an account of the deeds done in the body, where they be good or where they be evil. You know, Ecclesiastes right in the end it says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole of man. He says, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Then we need to be a Christian to make our calling and election sure. Make our calling and election sure. In Second Peter, beginning uh, about verse 5 down there, he says, Wherefore, you know, uh, that we're to add to ourself, give diligence to add to yourself faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness love. He says, if these things be in you and abound in you, they stay in you, they make you that you neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But if any man lack these things, he is blind and cannot see afar off, having forgotten that he hath been purged from his old sins. He's been washed of them old sins, see. And then he says, Wherefore, brethren, you know, make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. Isn't that great? If we do those things, we'll never fall. So why be a Christian? Another good reason and one of the most important ones that I think is to avoid hell. You know, that's just putting it bluntly, but uh, uh, there's only two places that we can spend eternity. And, and hell is the one we don't want to spend eternity in. In Mark 9 and verse 44, it says that that's where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. It, it isn't put out. It, it'll be forever. We can't even spend eternity. We just go into eternity and we stay there from now on. So we need to be a Christian to avoid hell. Listen at Revelation 21 and verse 8. He says, But the fearful, the unbelievable, the abominable, uh, murderers, whoremongers, uh, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, shall have their part in the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And we certainly won't escape that second death. And then uh, the last reason here that I'm going to give you is to we should be a Christian to win a crown of righteousness. You know, if you turn over to 2 Timothy 4 there, uh, Paul says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. He said, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and shall turn away from the truth and turn uh, unto uh, fables. Then he says to endure affliction, uh, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. He said, for I am now ready to be offered. Paul did. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me in that day, but not only to me only, but unto all them, those that love his appearing. So we can all take advantage of that and obtain that crown of righteousness. Another place it says, a crown that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. So uh, don't you, uh, wouldn't you desire a crown of righteousness? Certainly anybody in their right 
mind, I believe, would say, yes, I would desire a crown of righteousness. Friend, we can't sow to the flesh and reap to the Spirit. Galatians 6, 6 through 8 says, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If he soweth to the flesh, he shall of the flesh reap corruption. If he soweth to the Spirit, he shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. I might ask you one question then. Are you sowing the seed of the kingdom, brother? You know, we sing a song in our book that says those words specifically. In the morning bright and fair, are you sowing the seed of the kingdom, brother, in the heat of the noonday glare? For the harvest time is coming on, and the reaper's work will soon be done. Will your sheaves be many? Will your garner any? At the gathering of the harvest home. At the gathering of the harvest home. You know, the Lord's uh, plan uh, is simple. Uh, uh, we touched a lot. Brother Lester t- touched on it this morning in the class. In Matthew 11, beginning with about verse 28 there, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give thee rest. He says, Take thy yoke upon me and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Friends, it's worth it. His plan of salvation is simple. We need to first of all hear the gospel. Romans ten seventeen says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We need to believe that gospel. John four twenty four says, Except that ye believe that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. We need to repent of those sins. Uh, Luke thirteen three thirteen five says, I tell you nay, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Brother Keeble used to put it pretty plain, you know, the black preacher. He says repentance means to turn or burn. That was the way he expressed it. And I, I, it kind of gets to the point right quick, doesn't it? So we need to repent of those sins, put them away from us, and then we need to confess the name of Christ. In Romans 10.10, 10, he says, With a heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. You notice it's still not into, but unto salvation. Then uh, uh, baptism, of course, as we said before, is taught everywhere nearly in the New Testament. In Acts 2.38, in Romans 6.1-6, in Galatians 3.27, uh, Acts twenty two sixteen, he said, you know, Paul was a, Saul was asked the question, Why tarest thou? Rise and be baptized. Wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And that puts a person into Christ. And the scripture that I really like that I think clinches is the one we previously quoted from 1 Peter 3, 21. You know, he says, The like figure whereunto baptism doth also now save us. Can you put it any plainer than that? I don't know of any way you could say it any any plainer than that. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. So if you're subject to the Lord's invitation in any way, well, you can come while we stand and sing.